This is The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film, starting from the early days of Hollywood all the way up to modern cinema. Take a journey with me, your host, Becca, as I explore all the different facets of filmmaking and all the amazing women making these films. Well, welcome back to The Celluloid Ceiling. This is the first episode I'm actually recording in 2021, and wow, it's barely the end of January, and it's been a long and scary year already. I hope everyone stays safe from not just the virus, but also scary white supremacists um, this year. And wow, I sure can't wait to take that vaccine and uh, start going, you know, going out again, which will be exciting. And not just to (laughs) a grocery store. So today we're talking about cinematographers. And as I said, I believe it was the last episode. This is going to be... Like I said, this is the first time I'm recording in 2021, so forgive me if I don't remember what I said in 2020. But this is going to be one big episode instead of three different episodes because kind of like producers, women in cinematographer roles weren't really around um, until rather recently. I'm not saying that they didn't exist, but, you know, women were pushed out of Hollywood and all that jazz, so... According to the article, Why Have There Been No Great Women Cinematographers According to Hollywood?, The American Society of Cinematographers, which was founded in 1919, only admitted their first female director of photography in 1980, end quote. And, quote, in 2018, cinematographer Rachel Morrison was nominated for an Oscar for her work on Dee Reese's Mudbound, the sole only woman acknowledged in that category that year. So yeah, this is, uh, (laughs) I'm sure you're tired of me saying it, but not something special or different, um, all these years, but let's just get right to it. So first up is Nancy Schreiber. Nancy was born June 27, 1949, in Detroit, Michigan. Her mother was a docent and an art dealer, and although her father died when she was young, he sparked her interest in film as he was into photography, mainly using 8mm and 16mm film. In an interview, Schreiber said that Lawrence of Arabia had the biggest influence on her when she was younger. Nancy studied at the University of Michigan, graduating with a dual degree in psychology and history of art. That's about as useful as my degree was. (laughs) During her time at university, she took some photography classes and ran the Film Society's Theater in Ann Arbor. After she graduated, she took a two-month film course in New York City, and that's where she started her film career. Nancy's first job was as a production assistant, which she got by replying to an ad in a newspaper. By the end of the film shoot, she became a part of the electrical crew and was the best boy of the department. After this, sorry, best boy is a a term. It's not actually meaning best boy. So if you ever see like best boy grip and things like that in in, um, the credits, that's that's not, it doesn't have to be boy. (laughs) After this, she began work in the electrical department in many commercials and films. Her first job as director of photography was for a low-budget Western film. As well as working on films and TV shows, Schreiber has worked on music videos, including musicians like Aretha Franklin and Van Morrison. Many American and international cinematographers have influenced Schreiber, the main ones being Seven Yekvist, ugh, these, these, these names, Sven Nykvist, Vittorio Sotaro, Eduardo Serra, and Emmanuel Lubezki, Not the person for that. I hate having my last name pronounced incorrectly, and here I am doing it. I'm sorry, guys. During the 1990s, Schreiber was an adjunct professor at the American Film Institute and taught advanced cinematography. 
Outside of these cinematographers, Rembrandt, Vincent van Gogh, Ingmar Bergman, and Sergei Eisenstein, and the French New Wave movement have had a big influence on her. Schreiber became the member of NABIT and was the first female gaffer to do so. In 1995, she became an official member of the American Society of Cinematographers and was the fourth woman to join it. Schreiber has been on two film festival juries, the Sundance Dramatic Jury and the AFI Film Festival Jury. Throughout her career, Schreiber has been on the board of governors of the American Society of Cinematographers and a board member of the Women in Film Foundation and a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. She's worked on Chain of Desire, The Celluloid Closet, Book of Shadows, <laughs> Blair Witch 2, Ghost World, and more. Sorry, there's a lot about the Blair Witch movies out there. Um, also, Celluloid Closet is kind of like a where I got my inspiration for this name um, of the podcast. Up next is Sandy Seisel. She was born on August 9th in 1949. She started college in 1967. Her interest in photography was apparent as early as high school, where she was a photojournalist for her school newspaper. She pursued her interest and desire to become a reporter by studying journalism and television. While she still wanted to pursue journalism, she did contribute to a few small films during her time in college. After completing this degree, she moved to Wisconsin, where she pursued a graduate degree and filmed for the University of Wisconsin. After this, she moved to New York City, where she soon got a job with both NBC and later ABC. During this time, she contributed as cinematographer for The Wobblies and assisted in camera or electrical work for Best Boy, Paul Jacobs, and The Nuclear Gang, Free Voice Labor, The Jewish Anarchists, Fame, No Nukes, and Rush. After working for ABC for a few years, she eventually decided to pursue a career that focused primarily on cinematography for documentaries and feature films in Los Angeles. In her pursuit of this career, she's gained a great deal of respect from her colleagues as a female working behind the camera. She taught advanced cinematography techniques and advanced cinematography practicum at Tisch School of the Arts. From 2001 until 2015, Seisel adopted Raju Barnard, now known as Bernard Trombley Sissel, one of the real-life street children who was cast in Salam Bombay. In 2005, she married Kelly Germond Cawthon, with whom she has two children, Joshua Cawthon and Jack Thomas Cawthon. She's best known for documentaries such as Chicken Ranch, The Endurance, Shackleton's Legendary Antarctic Expedition, and Mother Teresa, as well as TV shows like 60 Minutes, and feature films like Salam Bombay, Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. She's been a member of the American Society of Cinematographers since 1994, and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences since 2004, and the Australian Cinematographer Society since 2017. She also worked on The People Under the Stairs, Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, Black Knight, New York Minute, and The Ballad of Jack and Rose. I just wanted to bring all those up too because they weren't mentioned. <laughs> And next we have Rachel Morrison. Born April 27, 1978, Morrison took up photography at a young age. She grew up in a Jewish family in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and graduated from Concord Academy in 1996. She attended the New York University, where she completed a double major in film and photography, because she was unable to choose between the two. By the end of her degree, she had decided to concentrate on cinematography. She then attended AFI Conservatory's Graduate Cinematography Program and graduated with a Master of Fine Arts in 2006. Morrison began her career in television, working on a series of telefilms for a number of networks, 
Her cinematography on the 2005 television documentary Rikers High about high school education within the Rikers Island prison complex was nominated for an Emmy Award. She also worked on The Hills for two years, then shot Zal Batmajig's Sound of My Voice, which premiered on the 2011 Sundance Film Festival. Over the next two years, she photographed him in Eric's Billion Dollar Movie and Fruitfield Station, which premiered at Sundance in 2012 and 2013, respectively, as well as Any Day Now in 2012, Some Girls in 2013, and The Harvest in 2013. At the 2013 Women in Film Crystal and Lucy Awards, Morrison was awarded the Kodak Vision Award for her work in cinematography and her collaboration with other women filmmakers. That same year, Variety named her as one of the Up Next in their Below the Line Impact Report, while IndieWire named her one of their cinematographers to watch. In 2014, she photographed Cake, directed by Daniel Barnes, which she followed up with the 2015 film Dope. Dope premiered at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival, making it Morrison's seventh film to screen at the annual festival in six consecutive years. 2014 marked Morrison's first foray into directing, as she was offered the chance to direct an episode of the television series American Crime, which aired in 2015. In 2017, she became a member of the American Society of Cinematographers. Morrison was the cinematographer for Dee Reese's 2017 film Mudbound. For her work on the film, Morrison became the first woman to win the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Cinematographer, the first woman to be nominated for the feature category of the American Society of Cinematographers Outstanding Achievement Awards, and the first woman ever nominated for the Academy Award for Best Cinematographer, and she also served as a cinematographer for Black Panther. And I brought her up at the beginning of this uh, episode as well. Up next is Ellen Kuras. Born on July 10, 1959, she grew up in Cedar Grove, New Jersey. After earning a double degree in anthropology and semiotics at Brown University, she studied photography at RISD RISD, and 8mm filmmaking in New York, with a plan to become a documentary filmmaker. In the early 1980s, Kruis planned to study on a Fulbright grant from a film school in Poland, but was unable to go due to the introduction of martial law. She is of Polish descent on her father's side, and the family's surname was originally Kuras, with a little, ex- little uh, I want to call it a tilde, but that's probably wrong, because this is Polish, on the S accent mark, that's what I'm looking for. Kuras began her film career in 1987, shooting Ellen Bruno's Samsara, Death and Rebirth in Cambodia, the first U.S. movie filmed in Cambodia after the Vietnam War. In 1990, she won the Eastman Kodak Best Cinematography Focus Award for her work on Samsara. The film garnered accolades from Student Academy Awards at the Sundance Film Festival, where it received a special jury recognition. That same year, she was asked by producer Christine Vacoon to shoot her first dramatic film, Swoon, for director Tom Kalin. The film won her the Sundance Award for Excellence in Cinematography in 1992. This collaboration was the start of a prolific working relationship with Killer Films, which included projects like Postcards from America and I Shot Andy Warhol. From that point, she became one of the first women to establish an extensive career in cinematography, a department historically dominated by men. Like some of the best cinematographers in the business, she has focused her craft on sculpting light and creating powerful images that enhance story and character, while searching for alternative ways of seeing the world. Though she started in a political documentary, she quickly branched out to work in every possible genre of film and TV, shooting big-budget movies like Blow, Analyze That, independent films like Angela, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, documentaries like Unzipped and Four Little Girls, 
concert films like Lou Reed's Berlin and Shine a Light, successful TV movies, If These Walls Could Talk, and national and international commercials and music videos for musicians like Bjork and the White Stripes and more. In 1999, she was invited to join the American Society of Cinematographers, thus becoming the fifth female member to join the more than 400 male peers. Over the course of her career, she has received many accolades, including the Women in Film Kodak Vision Award in 1999, and was honored at the 2006 Gotham Award for her entire body of work. In 2003, she was the first film technician to receive the prestigious New York Women in Film and TV Muse Award, which traditionally is given to an actress. In 2009, she was a special honoree at the Santa Fe Film Festival for her leadership and work in the field of cinematography. She has served on the juries of several important film festivals around the world, and in 1997 she was invited to be on the jury at the Sundance Film Festival. In 2013, she was a member of the jury at the 63rd Berlin International Film Festival. In 2015, she was on the jury of the Belgrade Film Festival and the Camarage. Always eager to share her vast knowledge and professional insight, she has guest lectured at many film schools and festival panels, including SVA, NYU, BU, University of Texas at Austin, Walker Art Center, Hamptons International Film Festival, Camarage, Berlinale, and Woodstock Film Festival, among others. One of the few female members of the American Society of Cinematographers, she's a pioneer best known for her work in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in 2004. She's collaborated with directors such as Michelle Gondry, Spike Lee, Sam Mendes, Jim Jarmusch, Rebecca Miller, and Martin Scorsese, and more. She's a three-time winner of the Award for Excellence in Dramatic Cinematography at the Sundance Film Festival for her films Personal Velocity, Three Portraits, Angela, and Swoon. In 2008, she released her directorial debut, The Betrayal, which she co-directed, co-wrote, co-produced, and shot. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature in 2009, and in 2010, she won a Primetime Emmy Award for Exceptional Merit in Nonfiction Filmmaking for the film. Another thing she worked on was Be Kind Rewind, and I wanted to bring that up because I like that movie. <laughs> so up next is Mandy Walker, and while technically she's Australian, I wanted to put her on this list because she's worked on a lot of American films. Walker was born and raised in Melbourne, Victoria, and became interested in photography while a student in high school. After graduation, she studied film criticism and cinema studies with John Flaus, who introduced her to several people working in the industry. She apprenticed as an unpaid assistant on several documentaries and music videos, before shooting her first feature film, Return Home, at the age of 25. Additional screen credits include Parklands, The Well, Latana, Australian Rules, Shattered Glass, and Australia. Her television credits include the Australian Broadcasting Corporation series Raw FM. Walker has filmed commercials for Nike, Toyota, Caltech, Singular Wireless, Foxwoods Casino, and most notably the spot for Chan I almost said channel. Most notably the spot for Chanel number no. five, directed by Baz Lerman, featuring Nicole Kidman. The Australian Cinematographer Society honored Walker with their Award of Distinction for Parklands and Latana. She was nominated for the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Achievement in Cinematography for The Well and the Film Critics Circle of Australia Award for Best Cinematography for The Well and Lantana and the Independent Spirit Award for Best Cinematography for Shattered Glass. She presently lives in Santa Monica, California, and she's worked on Beastly, which is a film that I think everyone forgot about, sorry, Australia, Hidden Figures, and the most recently was Mulan. I have a lot of thoughts about that movie. I'll just keep it to myself. Up next is Maurice Alberti. 
Born March 10, 1954, in Lyon, France, at the age of 19 in 1973, Alberti traveled to New York City planning to see Jimi Hendrix in concert, but only discovered of his death after her arrival. Instead of returning to France, she hitchhiked around the U.S. for three years before she settled in New York City. There, she began a job as an au pair before turning to film. If you've watched um, Haunting of Blind Manor, you'll know an au pair, au pas, however, is what Danny was, kind of like a nanny maid, but not really. It's like more than that, you know, like a teacher too. Anyway, she's a French cinematographer who mainly works in the United States on independent fiction films and verite, or observational documentaries. She's won awards from the Sundance Film Festival and the Spirit Awards. She was the first contemporary female cinematographer featured on the cover of American Cinematographer for her work on Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine. In a podcast interview with Movie Geeks United, Alberti states that she never attended film school. She first landed in the film industry as a still photographer for porn films. <laughs> that was uh, at my last job. My friend Trevor, we would talk about like, would you do, would you do, not like, you know, like as in the film industry, would you film, would you edit porn? And like, if I'm not alone, as in like, if someone's there with me as protection, I would work on a porn set just just for the story, you know? In 1982, after having worked on enough film sets and getting to know people within the industry, she persuaded the filmmakers of a small punk film noir film, Vortex, 1982, to let her be an assistant to the cinematographer. At this time, she had known nothing about filmmaking and was trained by the film cinematographer, Steven Feierberg. Alberti began her cinematographer career working for the film company Apparatus, run by short film director Christine Balcon. The first full-length documentary she shot was Stephanie Black's H2 Worker, 1990. She won her first Sundance Film Festival award as a cinematographer for this film. She secured her career after being hired by Tom Haynes' controversial pseudo-documentary feature film Poison in 1991. She's most famous for shooting both feature films and small 16mm documentaries, her favorite camera being an add-on 16mm camera. She is voiced that her favorite genre of film is documentary because she finds there's always an adventure and a lesson, quote-unquote, with this medium, and she enjoys learning how to use simple tools and work with small groups of people. You know, I would say documentary is a fun thing to edit as well, so I understand why she likes it so much. Alberti's first big-budget film was Haynesville Goldmine in 1998, with a spending allowance of $8 million. Working on this film also consisted of her first time having to use a camera operator. In June 2006, Alberti traveled to Germany to film portions of the FIFA World Cup for scenes to be shown in Michael Apte's soccer documentary, The Power of the Game, in 2007. More recent work include Darren Aronofsky's wrestling drama, The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke. Aronofsky hired Alberti as a cinematographer due to her documentary background. Prior to working on this film, Alberti had no knowledge or experience with wrestling, so she would study the sport by attending wrestling matches with members of the crew every Saturday night for this period of time. She revealed that viewing the sport in person was helpful to see the world of wrestling. The director and her decided for a naturalistic look. Her aim was to make the film style work for the drama of the film and keep it as natural as possible, in order to let the viewer feel like they were in a real wrestling place. Important film elements, styles, and techniques were decided between Alberti and the director, including the aspect ratio of 2.4 to 1 in order to capture the wrestling ring, 
fans, and their arena, which they decided were very valuable to the sport. Alberti had also used a handheld camera for the action scenes and shot in 16mm film to, as she states in an interview with Movie Maker, embrace a slightly grainy, edgier look. She used the AirFX 416 camera and Kodak's Vision 3 500T color negative film 7219. In 2013, her photography series, The Pool Series, was featured in the gallery showroom located in Brooklyn, New York. Alberti has stated that she could not see what she was photographing and could only anticipate what the next fragment of time might look like and thus aimed to create an artistic anticipation. Alberti has discussed that being a woman in the field of work, mainly consists of men, has not hindered her career and success. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, she mentions that in the beginning of her career, crew members would tease her for being a petite woman working physically demanding job. In response, she would reply with, The little lady doesn't carry the big lights. She points, and the big guys carry the lights. End quote. She's worked on The Visit, Creed, The Kitchen, and most recently, Hillbilly Elegy, which I believe came out on Netflix and everyone's raving about it, and more. Next is Reed Moreno. Born April 15, 1977, in Omaha, Nebraska, she's an American cinematographer and director. Morano is the first woman in history to win both the Emmy and Director's Guild Award for directing a drama series in the same year for the pilot episode of The Handmaid's Tale. Morano is known for her cinematography on feature films such as Frozen River 2008, Clear Your Darlings 2013, and The Skeleton Twins in 2014. In 2013, Moreno became the youngest member of the American Society of Cinematographers at that time and one of only 14 women in the organization of approximately 345 active members. Two years later, she made her directorial debut with her critically acclaimed feature film, Meadowland. She also directed the first three episodes of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, for which she won an Emmy Award. She also won a Director's Guild of America Award for directing the drama series for the episode Offred, The Handmaid's Tale. Sometime after she moved with her family to Minnesota at eight months old, her parents divorced, and she and her brother Justin, who's now a professor of science at Dartmouth College, lived with their mother on Long Island. After summering on Fire Island, they moved there year-round when her mother married Case Morano. Morano acquired two older step-siblings and later half-siblings Jordan, Morgan, and Allie. The blended family moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico when Morano was in third grade, and they returned to Long Island three years later, and Morano attended Beach Street Middle School in West Islip, New York. After further family moves, Morano attended high school in Hanover, New Hampshire. Her father, Casey, realizing her interest in theater and drama, quote, gave me a video camera and said, you're going to be the family documentarian, end quote. When it was time to go to college, I was going to apply to Boston University for journalism, and dad said, you love telling stories and taking pictures. Why not apply to film school? Morano subsequently attended New York University and graduated from the Tisch School of the Arts, film and TV program in 2000. She returned to NYU as an adjunct cinematography professor and co-instructed the first advanced television classes offered. Morano's cinematography has appeared regularly at the Sundance Film Festival beginning in 2008 with Frozen River, which won the Grand Jury Prize. The film was also nominated for Independent Spirit Award for Best Picture. In 2011, Little Birds, shot by Morano, premiered at the Sundance as well. The following year, two films shot by Morano premiered there a feature-length documentary about the band LCD Sound System, Shut Up and Play the Hits, and So Young Kim's For Ellen, starring Paul Dano. 
In 2013, Kill Your Darlings, a 35mm period piece about the beat poet set in 1943, premiered there and screened at the Toronto International Film Festival and the Venice Film Festival. The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete in 2013 premiered at Sundance as well and theatrically released. In 2014, two feature films shot by Moreno premiered there, The Skeleton Twins, a dark comedy starring Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader, directed by Craig Johnson, and Mark Jackson's War Story a dark drama filled in Sicily, starring Catherine Kierner and Sir Ben Kingsley. Moreno also served as director of photography on the season one of HBO's drama Looking in 2014, and took over as lead DP on Vinyl, produced by Martin Scorsese, Terrence Winter, and Mick Jagger. Up next is Amy Vincent. She was born in 1959 in Boston, Massachusetts. She studied theater, arts, and film at the University of California, Santa Cruz from 1977 to 1983, and studied cinematography at the American Film Institute from 1990 to 1992. Her first job in the film industry was in the archive department of Warner Brothers. Vincent was selected for an internship in the camera department of Warner Brothers, and she later joined the International Cinematographers Guild. She said in an interview with Movie Maker, quote, I came up in a very old school way, interning in the camera department, loading, assisting, and operating with people like John Lindley, Bob Richardson, Bill Pope, I didn't even realize how much I learned from those guys until I finally got to shoot a film myself." End quote. In 2005, she won a Vision Award at the Sundance Film Festival for Hustle and & Flow, and in 2001 won the Women in Film Kodak Vision Award for Outstanding Achievements in Cinematography and for Collaborating and Assisting Women in the Entertainment Industry. She's been a member of the American Society of Cinematographers since 2002. She's worked on Eve's Bayou, Jawbreaker, Black Sneak Moan, The Zookeeper, and more. Up next is Autumn Durald. She was born in 1979 and grew up in San Francisco Bay Area. She attended Loyola Marymount University and studied art history. After graduating, she worked in advertising and later as a camera assistant on films. She graduated from the AFI Conservatory Cinematography Program in 2009. She was a cinematographer for Gia Coppola's feature film debut, Palo Alto, as well as numerous music videos and commercials. She's worked on This Sun is Also a Star, Teen Spirit, Macho, and more. She's also uh, currently working on the Loki TV series for Disney+. And up next is Tammy Riker. She studied at the Tisch School of the Arts, where she decided to become a cinematographer. She's best known for her work in Lisa Chulodenko's High Art, Gina Prince-Blythewood's Beyond the Lights, and her award-winning work for Carnavale. For her work on the series pilot, she became the first woman to win an American Society of Cinematographers Award, as well as the first woman nominated. She was invited to become a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in 2005. She's worked on The Incredibly True Adventure of Two Girls in Love, 1995, Fair Harbor, 1996, High Art, 1998, Girl, 1998, The Love Letter, 1999, Pieces of April, 2003, Beyond the Lights in 2014, Shots Fired in 2017, The Old Guard, uh, which is uh, this year, 2020, on Netflix, and One Night in Miami. And that's it. That's our cinematographers. Uh, there are a lot more cinematographers out there. These are just the, the ones that, you know, I've found a lot more information on, even though it doesn't seem like there's a lot of information on a good amount of them. Some of them had really short pieces. But as a reminder, this is not television. It's, I did talk about it a little bit um, and for some of these women, but at the moment I'm only talking about um, film. So I didn't mention Kira Kelly, who has worked with Ava DuVernay on 13, as well as other TV projects. Once again, there seems to be a little bit more diversity in television, so hopefully 
I can, you know, talk about that soon, hint, hint. Uh, so this is most likely going to be the final episode of season one. I'm still thinking about releasing a couple of different bonus episodes about movies directed by women or heavily featuring women. Most likely it's going to be Wonder Woman 1984 and Promising Young Woman. I did get to watch Wonder Woman 1984, which uh, was directed by Patty Jenkins, as you know. We've talked about her already. and uh, I haven't seen Promising Young Woman yet that is also directed by a woman, and that comes out on Friday on demand, so I finally have been waiting get to watch it. I haven't talked about just one movie since Birds of Prey in, was it February of 2020? Or I guess it technically came out in March. But hey, why not wrap this season up with a couple bonus episodes? Season two might be a little different. I want to try and talk to some women filmmakers for something different. Kind of still has the same vein where they're going to be in different aspects. I know a lot of women in film, mostly independent stuff, not not like super famous women, but maybe one day they will be though. Uh, if that doesn't work out for scheduling wise, or, or you know, let's face it, I'm lazy, then I think um, television will be season two. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, and I hope you learned a little bit of something about all these amazing women throughout history who have helped to make the film world a great place. So always go ahead and support, you know, female filmmakers. It's it's hard out there, but I think strides are being made to start including more women in film, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. But hopefully be on the lookout for those two bonus episodes. Maybe I'll try and get a guest on one of them. As a by a guest, I mean a friend. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, stay safe. Continue to wear a mask. To continue to be safe. Hopefully all this drama with, you know, DC will be over in a week. Actually, who knows when this is going to come out. Hopefully it's done. Uh, (laughs) Because this may come out a little bit later, if not in February or end of January. So we'll figure it out. We'll we'll see where we are by then, all right? Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye. This has been The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast researched, created, and edited by me. Special thanks to my dad, Mark Castaneda, for doing the music. 